I think the term is right. It's a spring break. Spring has taken a break, <laughs> hasn't it? We're still in a deep freeze. But we can gather together and get into the Word of God. We can even sneak into an Old Testament minor prophet like Nahum. I heard somebody say, I don't think I ever remember hearing a sermon on Nahum. But I get to say I preached one. Okay, so that's a, a privilege for me today. And it is one of the most beautiful literary works in the Bible. It's, it's known for that, the way it's written. It's just a, a beautiful book, the Oracle Concerning Nineveh book given to Nahum, containing elements of a Hebrew acrostic in a, in, an, in a portion of it. And it is a glorious book as we read it together. And it's good that we're, we're in this book today, a book that reveals the character of God and it reveals the purpose of God. And in this case, the judgment of Assyria. And he lays the foundation in verses one to eight of chapter one, which was magnified last week as James preached that, those verses. And it's impressed upon my heart how important it is that we preach these verses about the Lord, that it might be magnified in us, that we might lay hold of the glory of our God. Our God is what? A jealous and avenging God. You remember that from last week? He who takes vengeance on his adversaries. At his rebuke, the seas dry up, the rivers dry up. Bashan and Carmel and Lebanon wither. The earth melts, the hills melt, the earth heaves, the mountains quake at the presence of God. So we have this glorious picture of the glory of God. And as James mentioned last week, we, a man might ride a steed and kick up the dust, but the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So we look at the Lord this morning in this book of Nahum, an oracle concerning Nineveh, and it's, it's time for judgment upon Nineveh. We have been given a beautiful picture, verses one to eight. Josh might call it a psalm, a psalm about our God, a breathtaking description of our Lord. Slow to anger and great in power, also mentioned in chapter one. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fury of his anger? So I'm looking at chapter one, those early verses, like if we're looking at a map, let's say we're going to Google and we get a broad look at it, but then we want to zoom in a little more. We want to find out what's going to happen. There's the table set in those first eight verses. So now we're, we're overlaying these next group of verses upon that. So we're going to receive more light about this prophecy today. And we're going to find out it affects two nations in our verses today, Assyria and Judah. So let's turn together. If you're in the Pew Bible, 782 is the page number. Ninema chapter one, verse nine, to chapter two, verse two. And thanking God for his word and how glorious it is, we're gonna to stand together as we read today's verses. I'll be reading starting at verse nine of chapter one to two, verse two. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, 
Though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. The scatterer has come up against you. Man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength. For the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunders have plundered them and ruined their branches. We can be seated as I come, Lord, in prayer. Father, help us to learn more of you. We know that you, Lord, are good. Your stronghold in the day of trouble. You know those who take refuge in you. So, Lord, we do want to take refuge in you for this time together, that we might hear from you, that we might be blessed, we might find encouragement, we might become more in awe of you, seeking to worship you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Through Christ's name we pray, amen. In chapter 9, the first line is, what do you plot against the Lord? Now, having just read verses 1 to 8, knowing what we know about the Lord, do you think it's wise for anyone to plot against Yahweh? It's ridiculous, isn't it? But here we have it, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, coming against the nation Judah and plotting against the God of Judah, Yahweh. And I'd like to set the table for that. We need to turn to Isaiah chapter 36. If you turn back with me into the major prophets, Isaiah chapter 36, I'm going to read a few verses of Sennacherib coming against Judah. 36 starting at verse 1, and I'm going to read the first three verses to start. Isaiah 36. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lashish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Then I'm going to go down to verse 12. The Rakshaba said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you, to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? And then up to verse 15. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. 
until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all these gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? So the battle lines are drawn. And who's on each side? It's Assyria against Yahweh. Don't let Hezekiah say the Lord will deliver you. Assyria is making bold statements against Yahweh. As we look in verse 11, back to Nahum, in chapter 1, verse 11, from you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Back at the preaching of Jonah, do you remember? And unlike the king of Nineveh in Jonah's day, who removed his robe and covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes, here we have the worthless counsel of the king Sennacherib, who deliberately plotted evil against the Lord. Evil plotted against the one who is revealed to be good. The Lord is good. So a king of Assyria plotting evil against our God, Yahweh, who is good. But in verse 9, he will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. Judgment is declared on this one who proposes evil against Yahweh. So the vision shows that Assyria is ripe for judgment. In verse 10, they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink, they are consumed like stubble fully dried. It's hard enough dealing with thorns when they're not entangled, isn't it? We want to stay clear of a thorn tree, but here's entangled thorns. Sometimes in the farm, we're wrapping up some old fence, and we get all the barbed wire all tangled up and things that basically is useless. Entangled barbed wire. We need it kind of in a, in a way that's orderly, and you can string it along that fence, but entangled thorns, entangled barbed wire, it's, it's unusable. And that's what he says they are like entangled thorns. They're like drunkards as they drink. No ability to receive wisdom or to give wisdom. To make a sound decision, they are like drunkards as they drink. And again, showing they're ripe for judgment, they are as stubble fully dried. They, are, they will be consumed like dry stubble. It was just up uh, north of our place on Heritage Road, a couple of kilometers north. It was a, about 100 acres of wheat. And the little fire caught in the baler. And in no time, there was about 30, 40 acres just blackened. It just went up like that. And that, the dry stubble that's ripe for judgment, Assyria was at the place plotting evil against God. They are like stubble fully dried in the way they'll be consumed. So in verse 12, we have a fairly strong statement, don't we? Thus says the Lord. And again in verse 14, as he continues to talk about Assyria and the king, it says, the Lord has given commandment concerning you. Though they are of full strength in many, in verse 12, they will be cut down and pass away. In verse 14, there will be no legacy for Nashrib, for Sennacherib. His name will not be perpetuated. 
And the house of his idols are a house of cards that will come crumbling down. God will cut them off. The metal image, the carved image. And when the Lord speaks a statement like this at the end of verse 14, I will make your grave for you are vile. Some people make that idol threat. I'll make your grave or something like that. But Yahweh is saying to Assyria, I will make your grave. The Lord has given commandment. The Lord was stating it's time for judgment on the worthless counselor. And it's the same name, the word counselor, given to Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, the wonderful counselor. And what commandment has the Lord given concerning the wonderful counselor? This is my beloved son. Hear him. John writes that he's full of grace and truth. And what about his name? Paul writes in Ephesians that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. So, Sennacherib, your name will not be perpetuated. Jesus, in this age and the age to come, has been given the greatest name. I will make your grave for Sennacherib, but for Jesus, it's impossible to make a grave for the Son of God. Death could not hold him, Peter preaches and acts. It's impossible for death to hold Jesus Christ. So we see that comparison. It's Assyria, the evil king, against the Lord who is good. It's a worthless counselor, the, the Rabshaka. I've mixed up that word a few times, <laughs> David. The Rabshaka, the man sent to proclaim taunts against Israel against the Lord who is good. So these hard words for Assyria turn out to be good words for Judah. If you look at verse 12, the second half, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from upon you and burst your bonds. So we go back to Isaiah 36 when we saw that Assyria had taken the fortified cities of Judah and they were making war on Judah but the Lord says, though I've afflicted you, I will afflict you no more and I will break his yoke from upon you. There's a verse as well that at the end of the passage we read today, it said the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob and the majesty of Israel. In his judgment on Assyria, he's showing his majesty all through this book. I'd like to go back to this close to where we were before in Isaiah 37, chapter 37 of Isaiah. This is the last time we'll move away from uh, Nahum. Isaiah chapter 37, verse 14. My first point about the majesty of God is the Lord's majesty is shown when we're on our knees. His majesty is declared when we come to him seeking his help. The Lord is a refuge. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Chapter 1, verse 7. And here is Hezekiah in verse 14. After all of this taunting from the Rabshaka against Israel, here's Hezekiah's prayer. In verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, 
God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. So the Lord says, the house of the gods of Syria, I'm going to cut them off. Carved images, metal images. His gods will be no more. His yoke will be broken off of Judah. So we're back in Nahum chapter 1. So Nahum brought good news to Judah. Kind of a self-fulfilled prophecy when he says in verse 15, behold, upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah, perform your vows. So when the affliction is taken away and the yoke is broken, Judah is free to go to the temple. I was in Boston recently, and it was a, a preaching course that James sent me down. He said a lot of the good teachers are in America, United States, so... <laughs> James is still looking for one north of the border. Have you found one yet? No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, it turned out we're studying the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. I will lift up my eyes to the Lord. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. To you I lift my eyes, O Lord, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, if the Lord had not been on our side. So there's all these Psalms of Ascent, to sing on the way to Jerusalem. Judah was now free to take the hymn book out and sing the Psalms of Ascent. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Perform your vows. What a joyful time for Judah. Under the yoke of Assyria and living in fear and the taunts that were coming their way, now they were free. That yoke is lifted for Judah. So it was good news for Judah. For never again shall the worthless pass through you, the Assyrian the Rav Shaka, never again to pass through, his, through uh, Jerusalem. He is utterly cut off. Israel will be judged. Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, as we discussed a week or two ago, Lord Sabaoth is the victor. He is the majesty of Jacob. And we know that the majesty of Judah will be ultimately the Lion of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'd like to broaden our image a little bit more again and lay another layer on this. As we study the details of this story, who do you think the prince of worthless counsel might be? The devil. I'm just going to read a few verses for you. Or actually, I don't need to. Back in Isaiah 14, the devil's claims against the Lord was, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will make myself like the Most High. And when we talk about evil plotting, there is one who plots against the Lord, 
So this was Isaiah's heart lifted up, plotting against Yahweh. And it began in Genesis 3, 4 to 5, and the serpent comes to Eve and says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that worthless counsel from one who plots evil, one whose heart's lifted up against Yahweh, like Sennacherib's heart, heart was lifted up against Yahweh? So the majesty of Eden was tarnished by worthless counsel, plotting against Yahweh himself, so we know that death came to all men and the world was under the sway of the devil. In Psalm 62, 11, it says, Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, David writes, that power belongs to the Lord, and to the Lord belongs steadfast love. So I think all these things we're looking at, all these scenarios, are a play for power. The worthless counsel of Sinatra was for political power, to spread his reach over more and more lands, destroying the gods of the land and taking the people hostage, and as we've heard before, an evil, evil regime. In Matthew 22, verse 15, it says the Pharisees met with the Herodians to plot against Christ and how to kill him. All through the Gospels, we see the plotting against the Lord, the plotting evil against Yahweh. Religious power for the Pharisees, the power to be esteemed and looked upon as the authority Satan, of course, the power to rival God. And what about us? Fallen man in our sin, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, seeking power to run our own lives. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, a power belongs to the Lord. Just when the devil thought that his strength was great, God said, Assyria, your strength is great, and you're many. He was dealt a death blow when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. The death blow, an end made to Satan's plan, was on our Lord Jesus Christ came and set us free. He plundered the strong man. He himself partook of flesh and blood that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So the worthless counsel, the one was lifted up in pride and seeking power, Jesus Christ came in lowliness and, and defeated that one who had the authority over the sway of the world at that point in time, that the good news might come to us, though his yoke is broke up off from you, and I burst your bonds apart. We sang a mighty fortress is our God, and a lot of us are really familiar with that hymn, but the words are so powerful. Martin Luther's hymn, just in light of what we've just thought about Satan, the worthless counselor, and plotting evil, I'm just going to read you a few lines from that great hymn. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. 
were not the right man on our side, the, God, the man of God's own choosing. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, the one who Hezekiah prayed to, the Lord of hosts. Christ Jesus, it is he. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. I go back to those questions in early chapter one. Who can stand before his indignation, Yahweh's indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? The devil, one little, little word will fell him. Assyria, his gods will fall, his house of his gods will fall like a house of cards. I'd like to spend just my last few minutes thinking about the Lord restoring his majesty through his church. In this world is under the sway of evil, in the world where darkness is in our hearts, the Lord has called his church. And he calls us to, like Judah, keep your feasts, perform your vows, that we might glorify his name and his character and his purposes. If there is suffering, we suffer with him, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. That we're joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. I'd like to see that as the explanation of verse 12b that says, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. The church for a period of time is under affliction, is under persecution, so that God may have mercy on who? On the wicked. God is slow to anger and abounding in mercy to Assyria, to Judah, to every nation. But for a time, Judah suffered affliction that God might be slow to anger to Assyria. But the time came, as we had mentioned, that they were ripe for judgment. They were like entangled thorns that God was going to make a complete end of Assyria. So he could say to Judah, though I've afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. So the church at times is under affliction, is it not, that God might bring the gospel out through us that we might suffer with Christ because God loves the world. God reaches out to the wicked. Colossians 1, we studied it not too long ago. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. He was patient with us. He was long-suffering. So we come to the point that we might be reconciled back to God in the body of his flesh through death that we might be holy and blameless before God. And in the midst of that affliction, one of those key verses in Nahum 1, verse 7, the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So that verse, behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, Nahum, chapter 115, it's in Isaiah chapter 52, 7. Does anybody know where else it is? Romans chapter 10. We know those beautiful verses in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So in Romans 10, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So God restores his majesty in his church as we pray, like Hezekiah, in our suffering because God is reaching out to those who don't know him 
but his majesty is proclaimed as we share the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, how beautiful on the, on the feet of those who preach the good news of salvation in Christ. In our communion, we re remember his death and first coming. We have a great hope. We watch for the return of Jesus Christ. For new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And we know for sure that never again will the worthless pass through us. When that kingdom comes to his fulfillment, Satan will be utterly cut off. God will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. So the majesty of God is upon us as we wait for his return, as we celebrate his death and resurrection, as we pray, as we share the gospel. So the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries to Assyria. He says, the scatter has come up against you. Man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength. For the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunders have come and plundered and ruined her branches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to be a Lord strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts. Your jealous God and avenging God who pours out his wrath on his enemies. But we thank you, Lord, that even in the context of a serious judgment, we can see that you're slow to anger and abounding in mercy. The Lord is good. The Lord is righteous. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing love that you sent your son to die even while we were sinners. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel that came into each one of our hearts to draw us back to you. That even though we were enemies by wicked works, yet now you have reconciled us. So we thank you for the feet of those who, po who proclaim peace to us, peace with God. So Lord, I thank you for the book of Nahum. I thank you for the weeks we've had in it and the weeks ahead. Continue to bless us and make us strong in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.